I didn't know anything about accounting, like zero. I broke through that stereotype of bookkeeping and started seeing like the mystery behind it. And, uh, you know, just, I don't know, it's fun. From Six City Marketing, this is the Prof PodQuest. A journey into higher education innovation, searching for and celebrating game-changing educators. I'm Sarah Shookman. On today's show, we talk to the viral sensation known as Prof Tato. Yep. University of Michigan business school professor Dr. Ryan T. Ball is known for his sense of humor and his relatable teaching techniques that bring accounting to life. Hi, my name is Ryan T. Ball, and I am a clinical assistant professor of accounting at the Ross Business School at the University of Michigan. Well, it's so great to talk to you today, Ryan. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. What are you teaching uh, when it comes to accounting? So in a nutshell, I teach financial accounting, which is different than, say, tax accounting, which I think a lot of people think of when they think of accounting as taxes. This is where companies report their results to outside stakeholders of the company. And so a lot of it revolves around information economics. What types of information, what type of information is disclosed in the, in the financials and, you know, what incentives surround management. So it's kind of, it's funny because it's accounting, but it's a lot of storytelling and piecing a story together, almost like an investigative reporter, if you will. Um, and that's where I think that's fun is trying to infer stuff from limited information. The pitch of my class, which is the second in a financial accounting series after the basic intro class, uh, my pitch is we're going to learn to read real financial statements of real publicly traded companies. And, you know, you open it up and it's, uh, I, and I know this because I was there 20 years ago, uh, the anxiety level just like goes through the roof because you just see words and numbers and you're like, I don't even know where to begin. So a lot of it's me starting out with baby steps, pick a few of the pages, really learn to use that and then incrementally build on it as opposed to dumping the whole thing on you. I used to be a hundred percent accountant. Uh, now I'm like 10% accountant, 90% psychologist trying to get the students over that anxiety of, <laughs> opening up the financial and going, I have no idea what I'm looking at. How did you get into this? What what attracted you to the field? Uh, money. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's honest. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what? <laughs> hey, you know. It's a motivating factor. Well, it is. And uh, so just a little bit of background. I didn't step foot in a business school until I was 27 years old. And, you know, I, I did my undergrad and a master's and structural engineering at Ohio University and worked up in uh, the Cleveland, Ohio area for about four years, became a professionally licensed engineer designing buildings. And uh, I did enjoy it, but then, you know, I wanted to expand my opportunities. And my uh, wife, uh, she wanted to get her master's in public health nutrition. I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but, uh, and University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill was one of the top schools for that. And we love the Raleigh Durham area. And so I thought, I'll just get an MBA while I'm, you know, while we're break, breaking the bank. Yeah. May, maybe get like the business side of stuff and, uh, fully expecting to like go back into like construction management or something, you know, something related to my field. And I entered the MBA program in 2000, the 
August of 2001. It was like three weeks before 9-11. My very first class ever was in the financial accounting class. And it was by a professor named Mark Lang, uh, who I'm still good friends with. And the Enron and WorldCom accounting scandals had, were like major headlines. And he, after a break, he literally just made a blanket offer to the entire class. He said, you know, there's a real shortage of accounting PhDs, but high demand for academics. Uh, and so if anybody wants to come talk to me about getting a PhD uh, in accounting, you know, my, I'll be in my office later that afternoon. And I remember I looked over to uh, a classmate of mine named Jeff Tyler, and I remember saying to him, you can get a PhD in accounting? Like, what do you study? Like, just how to, like, reformat the 1040 or you know, W-2s? Like, I, I, I was so puzzled. But, um, curiosity got the best of me. I had time open. I liked academia. I tutored as an undergrad, so I liked the idea of communicating or teaching people stuff. And yeah, I took them up on the offer. And at the time, whatever engineering professors at Ohio University where I uh, got my undergrad degree were making, whatever, he said the starting salary and that, it was like three times higher. I'm like, sign me up, <laughs> sign me up. Uh, I didn't know anything about accounting, like zero. I never, I didn't even know what a balance sheet was. I knew nothing. So I did it purely on faith, and I joke about the money, but man, is it an interesting field uh, because I broke through that stereotype of bookkeeping and started seeing like the mystery behind it. And, uh, you know, just everything's different and it's always, I don't know, it's fun. That's what got you hooked, it sounds like. It did. And, you know, I really had a great PhD advisor, like literally like a second father to me and uh, really inspired me. And uh, yeah. That's so cool. Well, before we get too far, I have to just say, go Bobcats. I am an yeah, OU go grad Bobcats. myself. You are from Athens, not only a graduate of Ohio University. So that's um, right. For all the Bobcats out there. So just a wonder, wonderful place in the world. I miss Athens daily. So if anybody uh, listening isn't familiar with Athens, Ohio, beautiful. You know, it's got Hocking Hills, some good uh, nature. Uh, Let's put it this way. If you want to know a description of Athens, it's basically my relatives will describe uh, Route 33 as the four lane, not <laughs> like singular, the only one that goes through the entire county. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I think when I was there and they redid the Baker Center and it was the first escalator in Athens County that I know. was installed. And I thought that was in 2008, I think. Oh my gosh. That was like the big talk of the county. I, I love Athens to death, but that's all there is to do is count escalators in the county. <laughs> Teaching, as you said, you had, had already sort of been on your radar, but you just fell into it or how did, how did that begin? You know, obviously the opportunity had to present itself, but, uh, you know, UNC Chapel Hill is at least at the time, uh, it was like, and I didn't know it, but like, they have some really, they have a really top tier accounting faculty there throughout the country. And if you go into that program, generally you're trying to place in a top 20 business school as a professor and which necessarily won't tell some degree of teaching. So it's kind of like it was just a given uh, that I would eventually teach. And I did tutor, like I mentioned. I really enjoyed getting trying to find a way to connect the student to the material 
and every student was different. And, you know, it, that in itself is kind of a mystery is how do you make that connection with the material? And, um, I really like that and seeing people succeed. Uh, and so I've always thought I would like to teach the problem when I was in the PhD program, and this is actually documented in a, a, a speech I did on YouTube. Uh, I, I was definitely afraid of public speaking. I mean, absolutely afraid of it. I mean, I had anxiety through the roof. Wow. I would never guess that. Now I, I can't meet a microphone I don't love, you know, <laughs> <laughs> give it to me. And you'll, I always tell students when you come into my office, you know, I'm really open, come anytime and um, just be prepared to sit there for a while because I just blah, 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 blah. But, <laughs> so how did you do that? How'd you get there? How did you overcome it? 14 years of college and the best class I ever took was a six week, three hours every Saturday, six weeks. It, I'm not joking. It was in the back of a Harris Teeter grocery store. Uh, it was an improv comedy studio. And I happened to wander in there by accident out of curiosity. I ended up signing up, just sounded like fun. And there were six Saturday classes, three hours each. And you just go through these exercises and it's just you and about 10 other students. And we were leaving after the fifth session. And they and the guy said, see you next week for our last uh, class. Uh, don't forget we have a performance. And I was like, a what? And we had, for our last class, we had to open for a paying audience for the, the regular people. Oh, wow. And I just remember like, I was so stressed that week, like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. And But you know what? I did it. And I remember walking up on stage and I thought, this is why I hate public speaking, because I was trying to figure out every kind of question or problem, like every contingency. And even if I, so if I had 20 contingencies I was worried about, if I, even if I figured out a solution to them, each solution would lead to 20 more uh, problems or thoughts. And it would just explode and it would stress me out. And then as I was walking up there, it just broke that because I said, I can't, I literally can't plan. I don't even know what to be stressed about. And you know what? I got up there, got a few laughs and that single class made me realize that life, especially in the classroom, you have to have a plan, but you cannot necessarily prepare for everything. And that's a good thing. And uh, yeah, best class I ever took. It cost me 50 bucks. I love that story that I feel like I need to go take an improv class. Well, it, it's a great, here's why it's a great skill because a it teaches you to think on the spot with an, an objective in mind being funny in this case and the other beauty is you're with other people on stage and so you really have to listen and pay attention to what they're doing and you have to build positive energy there's the classic instead of yes but you say yes and right and um, i've heard that yeah and so it's because you're trying to build energy on stage so it teaches you to really listen to what the other and pay attention. And it just really teaches you to be improvised on the spot. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and that's what I love. I come in with a plan to teach, but half, most of the jokes I tell are like uh, just made up. <laughs> I would suck as a stand up comedian, <laughs> right? I just need to have no plan and just start yeah, going on and just see where it goes. Yeah. And I need people to bounce. I need a dialogue to be able to, you know, it's, uh, which is what made Zoom so hard. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, you you obviously employ some of these techniques in your classroom, but you had to be creative over the last few years, as didn't we all in all, in all parts of life as the pandemic was taking hold. And how did you start 
doing and finding what worked for you? Trial and error. You know, it's amazing when, you know, your feet are to the fire. You're like, you start innovating to get out of it. And, you know, it's up until 2020, I had only taught MBA students, period, both at Michigan and at my prior place, the University of Chicago. I had never taught undergrads ever. But because of some rescheduling stuff, I started teaching undergrads during the spring semester of 2020. So I had them in person for the first half up until spring break. Then I think we met for two classes after spring break, but then they shut it down and they basically gave us like two days to go and get our virtual lives together. And I, I had never even been on Zoom. And this is like late March. And so the students knew that I, they knew my personality. They, I think some of them liked me, uh, <laughs> but they, they knew that I joke around a lot. And so what happened, this is where you got to, rise to the occasion. And I wasn't happy that the school had kicked all the students out of the door. I understand they did it for health reasons, but at the same time to do that, because a lot of people come from the East coast or West coast. And at the same time, they've got to start taking these online classes and, you know, even the mental health of this is like not going to be good. Yeah. And so I wasn't happy about it. So I, I personally felt that I needed to, I can't, completely change their lives. But if we're going to be together on Zoom, it, I felt like it was up to me to to step up and make it worth it, in part, so they'd come to class. <laughs> and so it was the uh, third virtual class. It was uh, April 1, 2020, so right in the heart of the pandemic. And I met with two students before my 1 p.m. section as part of office hours, virtually. And at the we talked about it. We, I helped them with their issue. And uh, at the end, uh, one of them said, oh, I bet you have something funny planned for today. And I thought, I literally said, why? What? What's today? <laughs> and they said, it's, it's April Fool's Day. And I was like, listen, at this point, I don't even know what year it is. Like, we're all, yeah, we're all like so disoriented. And I was like, because this is like 15 minutes before class starts. And I was like, uh, sorry, I, no, I, that I can assure you, I don't. I'm still trying to turn on Zoom. So we get off and I'm, of course, like, we got to, I'm like, damn it, curiosity is getting the best of me. And so I Google how to play a prank on Zoom. And there were a bunch of lists and they were the dumbest suggestions. Like, uh, I can, you can change your name to be R.M. Pitts, you know, and I'm just like, all right, whatever, you know, that's not my style. But then among all of them, there was this article about a woman who worked for, she was on the board or an executive at some company i think it was in new england and it just talked about how when she came back during the pandemic her kit she had to use her home computer and her kids had put this snap filter and she was a talking potato and didn't know how to get it off and so she had to go into all these meetings as a talking potato and i thought i i thought well that sounds really interesting so i scurried i figured out how to work snap desktop it's snap camera is the app to use it uh found a filter figure out how to do it on Zoom, and then proceeded to teach two hour and a half classes as a potato the whole time. And <laughs> I swear to you, because it was so new to me, I was laughing so freaking hard that uh, my wife and kids knocked on the door because they thought I was having a heart attack. I mean, it was just <laughs> so damn. I, and I would be watching the facial expressions on it and uh, – uh, so yeah. And so I did that. It was a great pick me up. And, you know, the students put in my evaluations like, 
yeah, I enjoy coming to class. I don't know what's going to happen next, right? And uh, April 1st, 2020 was the premiere of The Potato. And then I did it two more times as kind of like a mid-semester pick-me-up the next year. And then it was August 2021 where I did it a fourth time uh, because I had we we're still online, virtual. And I had just taught for like nine hours that day. And then I had a three-hour review session starting at 8 p.m. So I had a break from 6.30 to 8, and I went and got Olive Garden. And I spilled it all over my chest. I'm like, dang it, I don't have another shirt, and I don't want to show, show up for this review session looking like a slob. So it's either that or wear no shirt, you know, which is not a good look. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was like, okay, I'll do the potato. And I got kind of clever. The potato technology had advanced by then. It had a green screen. And so I, uh, oh, I souped it up. I had some intro music. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, so, and somebody, one of my students filmed it. She took her camera and filmed the laptop, put it on TikTok. So all the viral stuff is on her account. And she put it on TikTok, uh, to show a friend, like in somewhere in South America, I think. And, uh, she said she went to bed and had two views. And then when she woke up, it had 2 million views. Oh and so she gosh. took it down because it's against school policy to, to disseminate video. Yeah. Sense, right? And you know, I ended up giving her permission to put it back on, mainly because I wanted to show my fourteen-year-old uh, daughter, who was always on TikTok, how cool just, you were. Yeah, exactly. And uh, then the thing just blew up. Then it went viral. Next thing you know, talking to writers on the Today Show, and Jimmy Fallon had me uh, uh, had a picture of me, uh, the potato on, uh, under a segment he calls "My Teacher Is Funny." So yeah, fifteen minutes of fame. I love that the whole idea came together in 15 minutes and inspired by the student. Like you couldn't, you couldn't let April fools pass without something at that point, once it was brought to your attention. Yeah. I mean, I've never been an April fools kind of prankster. That's not my style, but that certainly fit the mold. Uh, and it just felt right given that, uh, the kind of, you know, uncertainty. We were, that was like the height of uncertainty yeah, and uh, confusion. And so, uh, you know, I just was able to make people laugh because uh, I have some of the video recordings of their faces, like, and it just, yeah, it just, yeah. It's not something I can do every time, right? That, right. Yeah. I would pull it out. Like I pulled it out in the fall semester and then the subsequent spring semester and then the next summer semester, which is when it went viral, just as kind of like a, adrenaline boost i guess like keeping them like i I like to consider myself to be a pending train wreck you know you want to look away but you just can't because <laughs> you're totally curious as to what's going to happen so you know uh, i want to ask you from your experience teaching mba students versus teaching undergrad like what's the difference what do you see in students the main difference is stress levels <laughs> that seems fair yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the structure grades, uh, where the undergrads are the ones that are really stressed out. Oh, 100%. See, now I thought you were going to say that the MBA students are, I don't know, just more serious about their career at that point and therefore more dialed in. They are. And they recognize that, you know, they, they recognize that grades are not the only thing because they have about five years of work experience on Real average. Real life experience. Yeah. yeah. And, no, and nobody this, asks about your GPA anymore. Uh, not true with the undergrads. And the other problem too is 
at Ross were it's all based on a curve. So, you know, they're just like super paranoid about how well their other uh, classmates are doing. Overall, the students at Ross, period, are just, I, I really enjoy teaching here um, because of them. And this fall, what are you going to be teaching? So this fall, I teach, we have a one-year Master's of Management uh, program, and I will be teaching uh, basically the introductory financial accounting. Um, it's my third year doing it. It's the same class that I w did two years ago when I, the potato went viral. Are there any lasting impacts that you've seen on higher ed or on your teaching from the pandemic and from us all getting comfortable with Zoom and all these technologies? Zoom is definitely here to stay in some capacity. So I think that that's a major shift. Um, I think that a university like the University of Michigan, they're more of a research-oriented school, which, you know, I love research just as much as my any colleague. Um, it does tend to underemphasize teaching. Um, and I would have, I, my hope was that the pandemic would have forced them to put more weight on it. I haven't necessarily, I haven't directly experienced that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Teaching's teaching, no matter what the delivery format. And you found ways to, to make it work, even when you were struggling to, to connect with students through the screen. Absolutely. And one of the things I like doing is telling stories or finding really interesting niches for uh, like explaining or making the material come to life. So for example, uh, I used to talk about alpacas in, uh, during when I would introduce taxes, the, the financial accounting for income taxes. And uh, I would talk about alpacas. And I, fun fact, like back in 1985, there were two alpacas in the US, probably like in petting zoos, right? And now there's like, close to 750,000 or something like that. Oh my gosh. In the US. And it's, uh, I always, uh, I always ask the students, like, how did we go from two to 750,000? Is that, is, there's like two of the horniest alpacas ever. <laughs> 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 I shouldn't, I shouldn't admit that on air, but <laughs> the point is the reason there's so many alpacas is because for whatever reason, they were made extremely tax deductible. Okay. And so now we've got 750,000 alpacas running around and nobody knows what to do with them. <laughs> I think there's an alpaca farm near me now that you mention it. It's, yeah. Oh, they're all over the place. And uh, so, yeah. So taxes, you know, when you incentivize something, it, it just really talks about the importance of income taxes. So during the pandemic, I decided how can I bring my stories to life? And what I did, I got a camera crew, a professional the camera crew that, that Ross, a studio that Ross has. And I made eight kind of uh, teaser videos. So, for example, I, we went up for an entire day and went to an alpaca farm and filmed. Uh, you know, I basically said 2020 has been a very taxing year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> Personally, I go to... I deal with it by going to my happy place, which is spend time with my best friend, tender kisses. And it zooms in with me kissing this alpaca. I can see it being very memorable for all your students. Yeah. And, you know, in my intro class uh, that I'm teaching in the fall, the very first thing we do is I talk about my 
working at the University of Michigan, but I'm from Ohio and grew up a Buckeye fan. I kind of get this uh, scenario where I say, when I first got here in 2014, the faculty wanted me to pledge allegiance to Michigan. My family wanted me to pledge allegiance to Ohio State. I didn't know what to do, so I had to make a decision. So I asked a friend. But the idea is we talked and I showed them Ohio State's wins and losses and Michigan's historical, like all time. Yeah. And I just give them that information and, and along with the logos and say, all right, which is the better team? And pretty much 100% of the people pick Michigan because they have a high, slightly higher cumulative win percentage. That's over 100 years. But then I show them the most recent 2014 season. And that's the year Ohio State won the national championship and Michigan fired their coach with a losing record. And suddenly everybody's choosing Ohio State. Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but you're getting different pieces of information or causing you to make different decisions. And so now you got to consider that maybe firms are providing you with one or the other in order to sway you. To, In other words, I could literally pick which team you guys are going to choose by simply picking the information to present to you. Absolutely. And so I kind of control the narrative. And you have to – but you know that. And so you want to ask a lot of questions. So it's, you know, it's kind of a back and forth. But, yeah, I, I did that because I wanted to connect with them and just found it to be a very easy exercise that most people can – can relate to. Correct. Yeah. And it just, and what I do is I'm introducing concepts in accounting to them through a simple, which is a better sports team. Uh, And it's really fun. And I can show them all the foundational concepts of accounting. What is the relevant information? Is it reliably measured? Um, Is it free of error? You know, things like that. I, love stories. I mean, this is what I do. But do you feel like just as humans, we gravitate towards a story? Like it's easier for us to grasp some of these more abstract, you know, constructs um, when when we have a story? A hundred percent. I mean, these are, these are, uh, you can go back thousands of years. I mean, that's literally the, the medium. I mean, and that's what I think the role of the professor is now is the information's out there. You know, I can easily show you a hundred explainer videos that teach the same stuff I do, but you know, they're all boring. They're, you know, some guy in a student tie standing there, you know, writing stuff on a whiteboard behind them. And it, it just, you just have to have a delivery. You have to connect with people. You sort of glossed over it, but the, but the TikTok account is not, in your possession. Do you have a TikTok account? Do you use social media now? The viral videos, the ones that got like 20 and 28 million views, uh, uh, was my student's account. And she decided to hold on to that, uh, because she ended up dropping out of school. And, uh, so, uh, I ended up making my own account mm-hmm. and it was only after the videos went viral. And, it's still up. It's I think it's at prof.tato. Am I on social media? Was I on social media? Yes. Am I now? Not really. Um, I just decided this year I'm taking off from it. So I try. I, I don't have TikTok on my phone anymore. Uh, I just found it to be. I found it to have a lot of good stuff. I don't think it's as useless or as mind numbing as. Most people think there's good stuff out there. Um, like I learned a lot. I like to do woodworking in my spare time. And 
I would just watch this one account. They have a, a lathe, which is the thing that spins and then you kind of carve out like, and I would just watch it for hours. <laughs> it's very educational, but, uh, and so I, you know, I'm just taking a hiatus from social media period and, uh, learning to live in the present. No, that I think a lot of people can relate to that, have had similar chapters with social media at times. What's on your bucket list, Ryan? What what else is, you know, do you have other goals in terms of your career? Are you kind of in a, a nice chapter where you just kind of want to ride this out? What What's next for you? So what's on my bucket list? Uh, that's still a work in progress. Uh, I've already checked a few things off my bucket list uh, uh, that I do have. But the things that I did do was uh, get a big tattoo. And uh, it's a big uh, picture of my area chair on my chest. Uh, big fan. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it only works well if you know who the area chair is. Uh, anyways, uh, get a tattoo and go skydiving, run a 5K. Um, so those are some of the things I set out and accomplished in February. Um, and I'm currently working on the rest of my bucket list. And I'm really excited to find out what's going to be on it. Um, I turned 50 in September. Um, yeah, a lot of life left to live. And I'm Absolutely. super excited about it. Yeah. And so that's when I kind of quit social media to focus on what's important, being in the present moment. Um, yeah. For your students, how do you want them to see you or remember you? Honestly, I don't care if they remember me as long as they remember the takeaways and stuff. And I'm not talking about the materials. I tell the students, you're going to forget the nuts and bolts of the, the material that I give you. What I'm trying, I hope you remember about me or the class is that you did it once. So when a real financial comes across your desk and you go, shit, or sorry, uh, poop. All good. Uh, yeah. It's been, uh, it's podcasting. I think you're allowed. Okay, good. Uh, there, you're going to open it up and go, shoot, I haven't looked at this for a long time. And, but what I, so I, what I hope you remember is I did it once before, so I know I can do it again. Let's go. Let's get, let's get into it. And, um, yeah. And just know that I was an ally, not a, somebody who was just pontificating from a top of mountain. You know, I try to get at their level because I, I believe everybody has something to teach somebody. I approach them as I know something about accounting. You want to know, but I also want to know something about you. And, it, you know, I just want them to make a connection, even for a split second. I still pass assignments back in person, like print them out, grade them, because I want to be able to hand them back and look at them in the eye just to make that connection. Yeah. And, you know, like, hi, I was here. Uh, you know. I see you. And you see me I see too. you. And you're not unimportant. And... Yeah, and I try to be honest with them, and but I, I can't make them want to do this stuff. Because reading financial statements, I always say, I don't care what field you go into, you will have to crack something like a financial statement open in your lifetime. And if you tell me that you died and never did, I'll say, well, how do you know you didn't miss an opportunity? <laughs> right? Because you always right. shied away from it. So it's trying to give them that confidence because uh, most of the material, heck, I, I tell them, like, come see me six months from now. I'll probably, 
I'll know the answer to some of these questions about the material, but it'll take me a little bit longer. So now imagine going six years with, without seeing it. So trying to give him that confidence and uh, to, you know, I did it once, I can do it again. And it's, the students that I've seen in power have been really, really helpful. And uh, it's been really good to see that. What a foundation of respect. I think that seems like a great takeaway for, for teachers and students alike. Well, that seems like a great place to close. So Ryan T. Ball, thank you so much for joining the Prof Podcast. Well, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for uh, considering me. And uh, yeah, I'm going to subscribe to it. Everybody should subscribe to it. Tell your friends. Thank you. Uh, sounds like an amazing thing. The Prof Podcast. That's it. Nice. When he's back online, you can find Dr. Ball on TikTok at prof.tato. That's P-R-O-F dot T-A-T-O. The Prof PodQuest is produced by Six City Marketing, an SEO and digital marketing agency headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio. Subscribe wherever you find your podcasts so you won't miss our next conversation. Also, if you like the show, leave a review to help others find us too. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Bloxich, Steve DiMatteo, John Salmon, and me, Sarah Shookman. It was edited by John Oyster. Our theme music is Clinical Trial by Eric Vargas. Cover art design by Laura Perrin. To learn more, visit SixCityMarketing.com.